0: Turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Ezra, chapter 7. It's a fairly long chapter. There's a lot in here. We're certainly not going to cover everything that's in this chapter, but I hope that as we read through it, you will recognize what a tremendous event this is in the history of God's people. I'll read beginning at verse 1 of Ezra chapter 7. Now, after this, In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mirioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, The chief priest, this Ezra, went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, Some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants, and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem." With the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters ...of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now, I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom... ...who freely offers to go up to Jerusalem... May go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free-will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence." Up to one hundred talents of silver, one hundred cores of wheat, one hundred baths of wine, one hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of the house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods, or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage with the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We ask, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our longest in the house of worship and freedom. We ask that you will be with Dr. DeYoung as he speaks on this word, that we may apply it and that the words may come to him faithfully this we ask in your name alone amen there's a tremendous amount of interesting activity going on here and we could ask a lot of questions I want to start just by going back to the beginning of chapter 7 at first verse Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia... Where's Persia? There is no country in the world today by that name. There still are countries that use the language of Persia. It's called Farsi. The headquarters of that is the country of Iran the very country that is creating a lot of terror, that threatens constantly to destroy Jerusalem and wipe out all the Jews. Persia, at the time of this writing, was the most powerful empire in the world. It began originally up in central and northern Europe with two different tribes, the Medes and the Persians, who came down and were blessed by God in marvelous ways. And in 539 B.C., they came to Babylon. And if you want to read about that, you can read about that in Daniel. But they came to Babylon and took over the whole empire of Babylon. Persia becomes now a very expansive empire on the east it goes all the way to the indus river in india on the west it includes all of turkey it includes parts of africa including all of egypt and going down through sudan even as far as ethiopia the countries of iran the countries of iraq of afghanistan of pakistan of Syria, of Palestine, of Turkey, they're all part of this empire that was called Persia. The second thing we want to take a look at, if you have the outlines, you might want to ask, why is the sermon titled, A Peak in Persia? When I originally was asked by Pastor Bob and the elders to lead the service tonight, I had been working on trying to understand the history of Persia, and I entitled this A Peak, P-E-E-K, just a quick look into Persia. I had never before studied the history of Persia. It's not required in most seminaries. Most people know very, very little about it unless you're from the Middle East. I'm gradually learning more and more. Persia is a very important part of biblical history. The last half of the book of Daniel, from chapter 6 on, all of Esther, all of Ezra, and all of Nehemiah are situated in Persia. Now, basically, three and a half books in the Old Testament are situated in Persia, and yet we've done almost nothing to learn about it. I'm finding it to be fascinating. I have been trying to determine whether or not this king Artaxerxes is truly the son of Esther. And I am pretty sure that he is. If not the birth son, then certainly the step-son. Because Esther comes just before this. Now our Bibles that we have are simply based on the Old Testament version that the Hebrews or the Jews had. If we put them in strict chronological order, we would put Daniel first, then Ezra, then Esther than Nehemiah. In our Bibles Daniel comes much later after Ezekiel. Esther comes after Nehemiah. Chronologically it should be well before Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm trying to sort that out and understand what's going on here. The next thing we need to do is to try to pin this down as to when this happened. The text in verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, after this, while you go back into chapter 6 and you find out, Oh, the Passover was celebrated and the temple was finished and dedicated When did that happen? Well, we know with certainty that the temple was finished and the Passover was celebrated in 515 B.C. The Jews had been allowed to go back to Jerusalem by King Cyrus in 538 B.C. And they had been there. So by 515, the temple is finally finished and ready to be used. After this is actually 67 years later. There's a gap of 67 years between the end of chapter 6 and the start of chapter 7. We know from the text that this event occurred in the seventh year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. That would put it in 458 B.C., the Israelites could go back to Jerusalem in 538. And now we go to 458. You do the math, that's 80 years since the first group went back. 80 years have transpired. And now, at this particular time, King Artaxerxes issues a decree. And he says, Ezra... You may go back. You are the most capable. You are the most gifted scholar. You know the law of God better than anybody else. You are the theologian par excellence. You have requested permission to go back to Jerusalem. I give you permission. And anybody who wants to go along can go. No restrictions. And you have to go to chapter 8. To find out the listing there. And you'll see that uh, the numbers are given in chapter 8. If you add them up on your calculator, you'll come with 1,773 men. You add women and children, which the Bible doesn't give us specifically, and you're going to have probably 5,000 people They're carrying tremendous amounts of gold and silver. All the gold and silver that they could lay their hands on, they're carrying back to Jerusalem. It's a trip of four months. They get there and they go to work. We're not going to look at that trip in detail because the Bible doesn't give us information. You can go to other sources and find information. For example, you go to Josephus, and you'll see a lot of information about those trips. But we need to ask the question, who authorized this? This whole trip is authorized by King Artaxerxes and his seven counselors. Seven counselors would be comparable to our cabinet, to our president's cabinet, the top advisors to the king all get together and they say, this is something that needs to be done. But then you have to ask, what are they supposed to accomplish? What are they supposed to do? They are to go to Jerusalem and they are to teach the people who are there the law of god and specifically how god wants to be worshiped according to his word when you go through chapter 7 and you start there at verse 14 you will see four very specific assignments that these the king and his counselors give to Ezra look at those minute in chapter 7 verse 14 For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And then a second assignment. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of babylonia and with the free will offerings they're carrying tremendous amount of wealth tremendous amount of gold and silver but then it goes on in verse 17 he expands the assignment with this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls rams And lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say, Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. King Artaxerxes appears to be a God fearing man. One who understands and who knows what the law of God requires. He knows something, obviously, about the ceremonies, about the offerings, about the sacrifices. And he's saying, we're going to give you all this money and we want you to beautify the temple to make it as beautiful as you possibly can and then to use this money to buy whatever you need. And if you run out of money... The treasury, the king's treasury, is there for your use. Take whatever you need. And I'm going to also give you authority. If people don't know the law of God, it's your job to teach them. And if they don't obey the law of God, you have the authority and the power to punish them. It's pushed there for us in verse uh, 26. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or, or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Ezra, you can do whatever you need to do in order to accomplish this. In one sense, I think we have to stand back and say, how in the world does this happen? If you look back, and I I use the analogy of a mountaintop, this I would call a mountaintop kind of experience, because Iran and all of those countries have tremendously high mountains. But before you see this particular event, you are going to see some other events that lead up to it i call them foothills and i want to go back to the book of esther if you have your bible's open turn with me to esther chapter 9 remember what i said a little bit earlier esther comes before ezra and nehemiah chronologically In our Bibles, that happens to come later. If you look at the book of Esther, there is a tremendous development of animosity towards God's people. It starts already way back there in chapter 3. We won't try to cover all those bases. But Haman is a very wicked, wicked man who wants to be worshipped. Mordecai is a God-fearing Jew who is the uncle of Esther who refuses to bow down to Haman. And Haman builds the big scaffold. He's going to hang Mordecai on that. But then through a whole series of events, Mordecai is honored by the king, and that happens to be King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, whatever name you want to use. Haman is finally convicted but before his conviction he has gotten the king to pass a law allowing all of the people in Persia to kill any Jew they can find. They want to exterminate all of the Jews. These are God's people. This is a tremendous campaign Reminds you of Hitler, the way Hitler wanted to destroy all the Jews and worked hard at it. Haman has that same kind of plan. King Xerxes is naive enough to sign that decree. But then Esther comes along and reminds him that, wait a minute, you know, I'm a Jew, Mordecai is a Jew, and you see that whole story develop. And then all the enemies of the Jews are killed because the Jews now are given permission to fight back. And they do with great success. That event occurs maybe 20 years at most before Artaxerxes gives this commission to Ezra. That's part of the background. When you look at history, there are always... Enemies of the gospel, every major event, every time the gospel goes forward, every time the kingdom of God is on the march, enemies show up in one form or another. This is a classic case of it. Go back with me further in history and go with me to Daniel chapter 6 for a minute. You've probably heard this story many times. It's always used in Sunday school. The people who are opposed to Daniel go to King Darius, and they say, Darius, you know what? We need to have a law that everybody in the empire can only bow to you. They can only worship you because you are the supreme ruler." And Darius foolishly signs it. It becomes law. Once it's law, the enemies say, Oh, by the way, there is this old, old man, Daniel. And as near as we can calculate, Daniel is at least 90 years old by that time, maybe close to 100. Daniel still prays to his God. Oh, no. The law says we have to throw him in the lion's den. The law of the Medes and Persians can't be changed. Throw him in the lion's den. Darius had become a friend of his by this time, and Darius is very sad, but they throw him in there. The next morning, King Darius goes to the cave, to the lion's den, and says, open it up. Daniel, are you... Yeah, I'm fine. King Darius, I'm fine. No problem. God shut the mouths of the lions. What is the reaction of the king of Persia? Read with me Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote, To all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. King Darius is absolutely astounded. This is a miracle. Only God could do that. And then, of course, the rest of the story, everybody who brought accusations against him, the men, their wives, their children, throw them in the lion's den. Boom! Before they hit the the bottom, the lions tear them to pieces. That makes a tremendous impression on King Darius. He issues a decree that goes out to the whole empire all the way into North Africa, to Turkey, into India. Everybody in the whole empire better worship the God of Daniel because he is the true God. Let me give you just one other foothill. If you go back into Ezra chapter 4, you will find another indication where the enemies of the gospel try to stop the spread of the gospel. I won't go into all the details because of time concerns. But God had appointed Cyrus to issue a decree and to have the Jews, as many as wanted, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple because Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple and the whole city of Jerusalem back in 586 B.C. They go there and they start work on it, and King Cyrus is very helpful, very encouraging, giving them whatever they need, but King Cyrus is killed in battle in 530. A new king, Cambyses, comes to the throne. And all the enemies back there in Samaria they ah, this is our opportunity. We're going to stop the building of the temple. Send a letter off to the king, and the king will listen to us. Cambyses says, oh, yeah, those Jews have always been troublesome. They've always been rebellious. Send the army, stop the building of the temple. Ah, it looks for a little while that the kingdom is stymied. But it doesn't take long and God puts Darius on the throne of Persia. The same one who saw the lions spare Daniel. And Darius says let them go ahead. By all means that is the true God. Finish the temple. And they do. Now you put all this history together, and I don't expect you to remember all these dates, and so but one of the things we have to see is that God is truly sovereign in all the affairs of men and of nations. When you go back into the book of Daniel, you see that coming to very clear and powerful expression. Go back to Daniel chapter 2, 3, and 4, and you see there that God puts a dream in the head of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in that dream, he sees a stone cut out of the mountains, not by human hands, But this stone is going to demolish all of these four kingdoms that are in that dream. And those are the kingdoms of Babylon, of Persia, of Greece, and of Rome. What we have here is an outworking of that promise. God says to King Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to learn that I am the one who puts kings and princes in power. I am the one who puts your president in power. He is my servant. He is my agent. A lot of things we could learn from this passage. But I think more than anything else, we have to see today 2017 the sovereignty of God at work sometimes it appears as though there is absolute chaos that was true during the time of Daniel it was true during the time of Esther and Mordecai it was true during the time of Ezra and if you read ahead into Nehemiah it was certainly true in the time of Nehemiah The enemies of the gospel are always there, ready to fight, ready to put the clamps on the kingdom of God. God says, not on my watch. I am the Lord. And sometimes God works in amazing ways. Sometimes you look back and say, the only explanation for that is God's providence. We've had it in our lives. And I trust you've had it in yours. Some things happen and say, there's no other explanation. God is truly in control. Earlier we sang that song, How Great Thou Art. I prayed earlier that we stand amazed at the way God plants his law in the hearts and minds of every little baby that is conceived at the moment of conception that's awesome that's the work of God right now in the United States other parts of the world there seems to be a lot of chaos a lot of confusion and also a lot of enemies of the gospel. Take heart. God is in control. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, help us in some small way to catch that vision, to see how great you are How you truly direct the lives and the affairs of men and of nations you put all of these marvelous ideas into the head of King Artaxerxes you gave to Ezra the wonderful assurance that you were directing this whole affair and as we study your word we see it developed in so many places We ask, O Lord, that we might not only see it, but we might embrace it and believe it and share it. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people say, Amen.